Thank you for joining us on the Desert Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that you encounter God through this message. Now, let's join Pastor Meredith Somerville for an inspiring message. Um, yeah, if you and I haven't met, my name's Meredith or Mez, as everyone knows me. And um, yeah, it's really a privilege for me to share with you tonight um, about really what my favorite topic is, which is mission. Over the last um, four weeks in the month of May, we've been talking as a church about our mission and um, how we can be an influence and how we can make a difference, not only here in Alice Springs, but around the globe. And uh, it's really been great that we can share videos and books and different things and show you all the things that we've been a part of. Um, And tonight, I guess I thought I would love to share with you just a little bit about my personal journey discovering this topic of mission. Um, I feel like I developed a heart for mission at around the age of 15 when I um, started really making a personal and developing a personal relationship with God. And uh, But I feel like what I thought then was mission and, and how my heart was feeling towards mission at that point is has grown and developed since I have studied and really thought about this concept, this idea, this this word mission. What is it, and uh, how does it how does it um, work in my life? And I think it's really evolved for me over the years. So I'm just going to share with you the evolvement <laughs> of the of of what I understand mission to be. So is that cool? You're just going to hear a little bit of our story. Um, so yeah, I grew up. I grew up with parents, loving, amazing parents, and my dad was a teacher. Are there any teachers in the room? Give me a wave. Yes, my dad loved being a teacher, both in the classroom and in the home, which was wonderful because I got to go to school and have teachers teach me things, and then I got to come home and get extra homework for all the different topics that my dad thought were really important for me to learn. So I had extra, you know, I had to do my times tables before I was allowed to have dessert. I had to do spelling bees on the weekend, thanks to my mum, which was just such a, everyone loves a spelling bee on a weekend. So thanks, mum. But one of the rules in our house, which was, you know, super fun, as you can imagine when I tell you, is for every hour of TV we got, we chose to watch, we had to watch a documentary of the same length. <laughs> Literally. Not joking. So, you know, the things I had to do to watch Xena Warrior Princess, um, I had to, you know, really grab a hold of, you know, David Attenborough and all his documentary fun friends growing up. And um, But what I really do value about that experience was, one, I watched a lot of documentaries because I wanted to watch a lot of TV. Um, but I really developed from an early age an understanding that we were a part of a big world. You know, we were a part of a world that has different cultures, different people, and that not everyone's life actually looks the same as mine. And so I grew up just with this, this insight, I guess, and I do thank my dad for that, if you're listening. Uh, thanks for that. Um, So then when I was finally in year 11 and 12, who remembers that time where you finally got to pick your subjects that you really wanted to learn rather than having to get to all the ones that they told you? So when I was in year 11 and 12, I picked all the humanity subjects. I was interested in the world. I was interested in the cultures of of what this place was filled and made up of. So I picked history. I picked um, 
the, all the humanities I've picked, uh, international relations, international studies. And I really continued to learn. I, looked, I picked psychology. I wanted to learn about people and I wanted to learn about cultures. And so I picked these different things and I started developing um, just an awareness that life for other people was not quite the same as what I have currently experienced in my life. There were things that started to really tear on my heart, I guess. I, I, I just still remember learning about the Rwandan genocide uh, in 1994 when 800,000 people were killed in 100 days in a civil war in Rwanda. And I just remember thinking, I can't imagine living through that. I can't imagine also then being a part of that nation as it tries to, as a whole nation, grieve forward and work move past that, every single person in that country would be feeling grief, loss, anger, frustration, hatred. How on earth does a nation move forward? How do those people, those mums, those dads, those kids, those grandmas... I started thinking about how those people had to continue to live. I did an assignment in Year 12 on Sierra Leone... And the, 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 the war that raged in the 90s, that started in the 80s, where the RUF army would just use horrific means as a way of being cruel to those that they were trying to um, take over the country from. Just terrible. They would use, not to go into detail, but just what I learned in Year 12, um, amputation not only became a way that they would decide to... Um, end someone's life, but also deliberately do it so that they were in poverty the rest of their life, because if you take away someone's limbs, how can they gain employment? How can they look after their families? So poverty was just struck down with these blows of these, with these machetes. And I just remember learning about the cruelty that humanity could actually, the depth of cruelty humanity would, would go to when in the, in the face of poverty. I learn about child soldiers. How crazy is it that 10-year-olds can get kidnapped and get stolen from their families by the, um, by the op opposing army and just get um, uh, made to become a soldier for the enemy, usually by killing a family member as the induction process, and, but just forced to do it. And, and I just, I was becoming, as a young, as a teenager, going into my, yeah, my late teens, I was just learning about the world that this is not okay. <laughs> I learn about poverty and how people, most people live, you know, half the world, half the world's population still today live on less than $2.50 a day. More than 1.3 billion people live in extreme poverty with less than $1.25 a day. And a billion children worldwide are currently living in poverty. According to the UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty in the world today. I just was learning about the, the world, learning about these statistics, learning about how what I was seeing in front of me in my life when I, I lived in Victoria, who loves Victoria, go Collingwood, what I, what I was experiencing was just so different to what majority of the world were experiencing. So in my late teens, I don't know if it was... If, I don't know if the right word is that I was um, angry or sad, or hurt, or upset, or just moved 
I can't really remember the, I don't know what the word is, but I became passionate about doing something about it. (laughs) I just, I could see that the world was hurting, that people were hurting, and I wanted to do something to help. I didn't know what I could do, a young teenager, what can you do? But I knew that I didn't want to turn a blind eye. I didn't want to make, I didn't want to have that knowledge and then live my life as though that didn't matter, as in as if having that knowledge didn't matter to me. And I made a decision at that time that I was going to try and do something about it, something. <laughs> at the same time, I was growing in my relationship with Jesus. I gave my heart to God. I learned, grew up in a Christian home. A lot of stuff happened. My mum and dad no longer following um, any sort of Christian faith. Um, but I took, faith, took my own faith on and got baptised around the age of 15. And from that time on, I was really striving and wanting to learn about who this Jesus was. And the more that I learn about Jesus, the more I read the Bible and the more I spent time in his word, the more these, this anger, this frustration, all this, this knowledge that I had about the world, I realised that actually this passion that I was developing probably came from him because he cares about these situations as well. Um, There are so many scriptures in the Word of God that shares God's heart for people who are in need, for people who are suffering injustice. And I'm going to share some with you once I have some water. He says in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is God telling his people, this is what I want you to do. He commanded the Israelites to intentionally share with those in need. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, he says... When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields and gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay them for what they have done. And another one just like it, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. You know, these last two scriptures in Proverbs, they remind me, you know, God, God is saying how if you look, if you treat these people, if you treat those that are, are less fortunate than you, it's like you, I, I am their protector. I am going to look after them. If you lend to them, I will pay you back because he's taking ownership. He cares deeply. If you oppress the poor, you show contempt to him. He's saying his identity is a part of them. He's, he feels completely as though they belong together. He belongs with them because he loves them deeply. And this is all through the Old Testament. And Jesus says the same thing, you know, in Matthew chapter 25, Verse 31 to 45, we read, and this is a, you know, I'm just going to read it to you. When he finally arrives, when Jesus finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne 
and then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, enter, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It has been ready for you since the world's foundation and here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Those that were the sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it for me. And then he'll turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and he'll say, get out, goats. You're good for nothing. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes, sick and in prison, and you never visited. And he goes on to say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things for someone who was overlooked and ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. And I don't share that as a, as a thing of like, oh, let's be scared or anything. I share it to show God's heart. Like he identifies, he is passionate about making sure that those that are poor, those that are destitute, those that are overlooked and ignored are not overlooked and ignored, but that they are cared for and they are looked after. He is passionate about people. So that's the, the first thing that I learned about mission as a late teenager, is that God is passionate about people, and he asks that we are passionate about people too, that we will stand up for those who are poor, in need, less privileged, because he cares deeply for those that are vulnerable in our world. And as we do unto them, it is like how we are treating and honouring him. So that was my first lesson, my first mission. And so I saved up my money. I went to university. I studied social work and uh, human services. I don't know what that means, but I so social work, definitely I know what that means. And I studied that. I got a double degree. I don't know what the second one was, but it was great. Woo! <laughs> so I studied and uh, I um, finished my degree, saved up some money, and I signed up with a mission agency and I spent a year in South Africa volunteering at an amazing mission in KwaZulu-Natal. And uh, my heart for mission really grew in this time where I was able to really just be a part of some amazing work. This mission that I worked at, they, they had an opportunity for homeless men to live on this property and to get cared for and looked after. We also went out to the townships and visited the Gogos. That's my favourite Zulu word, by the way, Gogo. It means grandma. How cool is that? You could be a Gogo. <laughs> anyway, it's my favourite Zulu word. I just wanted to put it in there. Um, so, you know, we got to visit the people. We used to be able to spend time with the kids, teach them and spend time with education and also teaching them about Jesus. And it was just an amazing time um, where I was able to really feel like I was Jesus' hands and feet in some of the, really, as those who have visited South Africa would know, 
what I see is just such poverty next to such wealth. It's amazing how in South Africa, just three minutes drive down the road from a, a place that looks like a, you know, a town that could be an Australian regular small town, three minutes drive away, you're in a township where people are living in small tin shacks and there's no running water and there's no heating, there's nothing. And so I was really moved in this time and, you know, so many different stories and people I met made an impact on me, but one very significant person who made an impact for me in this time. Oh, uh -oh. <laughs> was a little guy called Lusani. We got a little picture of him. This photo is really precious to me because um, I think it's the only photo that there is of this beautiful little boy. Uh, Lusani was um, four years old. You might not be able to tell under that big T-shirt, uh, but he didn't really have the development of a four-year-old. He was abandoned in the hospital by his mum. He had HIV. And um, our team found him during my time in South Africa. We found him in the hospital and we didn't have the facility to, to take children in under our care, but we did have a HIV care facility. So we went to the hospital and we're like, hey, why don't we, we'll look after him. Um, we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a long-term plan of how we're going to look after him for life, but we knew that we weren't going to leave him in the hospital abandoned and neglected. So we brought him home and he really became our, the mission team. He was, we all just looked after him as best we could uh, for two weeks. And then he did pass away from, from the, what he was suffering. And um, he's, he was a beautiful little boy. And he reminds me whenever I look at his photo that I never want to forget that I have a role to play in making sure little ones like Lasani that we don't run out of time for them in the same way we unfortunately ran out of time or didn't catch him. We didn't catch him in time to, you know, make a lasting difference, but I do know that those last two weeks he knew what love was. But he reminds me why mission really matters. He, his, this little picture, he, when I see it, it always reminds me not to get caught up in what's going on in my world, you know, here in our beautiful country, but to always have space in my mind to remember there are people that we can care and love and make decisions about to make a difference for. Little ones like Lusani. I love this quote that I found on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and I've got the little picture that you can read along with me. Oh, thanks, Jane. People who really want to make a difference in the world usually do it in one way or another. And I've noticed something about people who make a difference in the world. They hold the unshakable conviction that individuals are extremely important, that every life matters. They get excited over one smile. They are willing to feed one stomach educate one mind and treat one wound. They aren't determined to revolutionise the world all at once. They're satisfied with the small changes, 
Over time, though, the small changes add up. Sometimes they even transform cities and nations and, yes, the world. I love that because it reminds us, you know, the importance of of we can have big grand ideas. You know, when I was learning about the the troubles in the world as as a late teenager, I was like, oh, what can I do? But I can... I can do something for one person and then another one and then another one. And Jesus shares with us this truth as well. You know, his life, he made an incredible difference. He transformed the world. But he did it changing one life at a time as well. One of my favourite stories about Jesus is found in Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 16. And I'm going to read it. You can read along. One Sabbath day, while Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he encountered a seriously handicapped woman. She was crippled and had been doubled over for 18 years. Her condition was caused by a demonic spirit of bondage that had left her unable to stand up straight. And then Jesus saw her condition. He called her over and gently laid his hand on her. Then he said, Dear woman, you are free. I release you forever from this crippling spirit. Instantly, she stood straight and tall and overflowed with glorious praise to God. At this, the Jewish leaders were angry with that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. But Jesus said to them, You hopeless frauds, don't you care for your animals on the Sabbath day, untying them from the stall and leading them to water? If you do this for your animals... What's wrong with allowing this beloved daughter of Abraham, who has been bound for 18 long years, to be untied and set free on a Sabbath day? You know, I love that she didn't actually go to Jesus. She was in the synagogue. She was in the synagogue worshipping God. And Jesus happened to be there at the same time. She didn't go to him. She didn't ask him for anything. But Jesus noticed her, had compassion on her, healed her with compassion and love and and didn't just he could have just done it like without even speaking to her but he gave her um he gave her grace he gave her um he spoke to her like giving her what's the word I'm looking for like dignity thank you thank you where so many people wouldn't as a sick woman you know that's, how, that's what Jesus does for people. He looks to the one, he's compassionate, and he makes a difference for the one. So I was in South Africa and I was enjoying this life of, you know, making a difference and being the hands and feet, and then I ran out of money. <laughs> so that was great. And so I came home, and uh, after one year I came home, and uh, I realised God had more to teach me about mission so I came home to Victoria, moved back in with my mum. She loved it. And I uh, was looking for a job and um, I quickly found two jobs. Uh, I became a part-time, worked part-time for my church down in Victoria. And I, they asked me to be mission director, which was really fantastic. And I also worked part-time as a chaplain in a school. And, you know, for me, initially coming back to Australia was really quite hard. You know, I, I remember distinctly telling our pastor that we should sell the church and the property and give money (laughs) to South Africa. And he just looked at me like, he's like, what have I done putting you on staff? Um, But, you know, I was really 
really serious about that. And so, you know, I just was looking at the luxury that we have in, the, in, our, in our lives and looking at how everything is so, you know, we have running water into our houses. We have supermarkets that have cheap food and expensive food, but also cheap food. Uh, we have heating and all these different things. And I was just really struggling to, to adapt back into such a, an, um, an amazing, privileged, beautiful country that we are a part of. And, uh, you know, I was sort of struggling with it and wrestling with it with God. And then, but as I started to spend time at the church, finding out about families and their situations and working at the school was an absolute eye opener for me as I started to see that sometimes physical poverty is not the only poverty there is. Sometimes physical poverty, it's easy to see, it's easy to identify it's easy to see when someone's in need when you can see they don't have any shoes. But it's harder. Our society, our culture, it's harder to see needs under our fancy clothes, our well-practiced smiles. There's pain and need all around us when we start to scratch the surface. So I started working in this school and these kids started opening up to me about their life. And I'll never forget the one day where a 12-year-old came into my office and, and shared that they had been thinking about ending their life. And I just re remember thinking, how is this possible? How is a 12-year-old living such a life that they want to end it? This is mission as well. This is, this is where God's heart is as well. This is breaking God's heart as well. Many people have physical needs, but they also have emotionally and emotional and spiritual needs. The families and the young people that I started to meet through the school and through the church, I realised there was so much healing that was needed on the inside. They needed hope, they needed love, they needed joy, they needed peace, they needed security and they needed something, someone to put confidence in. They needed support and someone to listen to them. They needed love. They needed love. And again, my heart started hurting for these kids, for these families, for my friends, you know, people that are my age, um, you know, separating from husbands and families breaking up. And I realised there is a mission here as well, that it's not just overseas. God, what I was learning is that God loves people. And where people are hurting, that's where God is hurting and wants to bring healing and love and hope. And so wherever people are, that's where the mission is. So God had to take me to South Africa and back again for me to learn that his heart is for all people. And everyone needs his love. No matter what um, situation and circumstance they're in, they need his love. So God cares about injustice and he cares about the poor and he cares about the brokenhearted and the broken and he cares about the lost and the hurting and the forgotten and the sad and the lonely and those cast aside. He, he cares for those that don't even know what they're missing out on, having a, lo a life with Jesus. God loves people and that's why Jesus was on a mission. And that's why there is a mission because God loves people. God loves the world and everyone in it. And that's why he sent Jesus. I love Luke chapter 4, verses um, 13, uh, 17 to 19. Jesus stood up 
and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah as it was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, Jesus was on a mission. He was sent by God with a purpose. And Jesus died for that purpose. He died on the cross so that you and I would know and that others would know the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he said, When the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Christ proved, God, proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. God sent us a saviour, someone to connect us to God, but not just for you and I, but God's desire is that all would come to know and have the knowledge of him. Why? What I've learnt from mission is because it's love. Love is the motivator. God is love and he loves people. So this is what I've learned about mission so far. I've learned that mission is loving and caring for people overseas, people who are vulnerable, people who are in poverty. I've learned that mission is loving and caring for people right here where we are. I've learned that mission is caring for the poor. I've learned that mission is caring for the poor in spirit. I've learned that mission is actually loving people everywhere, wherever people are, that's where the mission of God is, to share God's love, for him to be known as a loving, gracious God who can heal hearts, save souls, lift burdens, and change lives. Simply, I've learned that mission is love. And love is the greatest thing. Matthew verses 22, verse 36 to 40. One day Jesus was pressed by an expert in Jesus' law, uh, in Jewish law. Asks Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Paul writes about love in Corinthians, and he says this, I will now show you a superior way to live that is beyond comparison. I love that. I will now show you a superior way to live that is beyond comparison. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself in love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal, and no one likes that. And if I was to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets... And if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learnt to love, then I'm nothing. 
And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burnt as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let your love be the beautiful prize for which you run. Above all else, let your love be the beautiful prize for which you run. You know, we are called to, by God, to live a life of love. And, you know, what I have loved learning about mission and about life is that as we love others, as we give our life intentionally to support others and to um, um, just love others with our time and with our treasures, we actually are loving on God because God, as we give to those in need, we are lending to God as we show respect to those that in our world's eyes won't receive respect. We're actually giving that respect to God. And so when we love others with everything we have, when we have a life that says, I am going to be intentional about living a life for others, I'm going to make it my life goal to make sure I can make a difference in the lives of others. I'm showing love to God. I am giving my life to God because he cares desperately for people. He loves you. He loves me. But he doesn't just love us. He loves everyone. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for all, that all would be saved. And so for me, missions has become an opportunity. It's just an opportunity. My life is how can I love God the best that I can? How can I love God the very best with everything I have? And he tells us, love others as yourself. You know, God showed us his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus showed us his love by coming to earth, leaving heaven, leaving the presence of God to be here and then to die on the cross for us. So what does love look like for you and I? How do we show love? Simply loving God, this is what I think, simply loving God right back with everything we have, with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and loving others. Loving God with all our heart and loving others. Love in action. You know, the missionary Amy Carmichael says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can't, you can't love without giving. You know, when, you're, when you've got a best friend, when you're in a married relationship, you want to give presents, you, you give your time, you give your attention, you give your life out of, to love. And so you can't not do it. Love and giving are the, go hand in hand. And so as we love God, the cool thing is it's just going to naturally happen for us. The more we love God, the more we are going to naturally love him, love others, and we're going to give of our time and our attention and our treasures and our heart and our lives because it's a natural part of love. The more we love, the more we will give. So you don't have to strive. Whenever someone comes up here and talks about mission, they're never asking you to strive for anything. It's all out of a heart for love. And love naturally makes us give. And as we love God, we naturally give back to him 
because he deserves all the praise, all the glory, everything we could possibly give to him. He deserves it all and more. And so we love. We love God. We love others. We give him our talents, our treasures, our time. Just love in action. That's what missions is. Missions is love. (laughs) That's what I've learned so far. And I'm sure God's going to teach me a lot in the rest of, as my years go by. But I want my life to matter and make a difference. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. For more information about Desert Life Church, go to desertlifechurch.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day and remember, you belong here.